0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Over the Outrage, where we'll be subverting the outrage industrial complex one episode at a time. Uh, You're with me today on February 25th, 2021, and I have a very special guest with us today, Clay Pope, who is a consultant to the USDA Climate Hub. Is that correct, Clay? Yeah,
1: Southern Plains Climate Hub. It's it's one of, of several in the climate networks, but we're located in in uh, Oklahoma and cover the cover the states of Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas.
0: Well, fantastic! And you also run a blog called Southern Plains Perspective.
1: That's right, and and we've got a podcast and some videos that go along with it too. But yeah, that's that's part of part of some of the outreach that
0: we do. Well, fantastic! So, um, have you found that? Uh, having a podcast and youtube and blog has that helped you reach farmers and ranchers in the region to to discuss these issues
1: it definitely has especially in in the time of covid when we've so, been so restricted on on being able to have in-person meetings i know from a uh, an agriculture's perspective you said that I, I do this work with the climate Hub. i also farm and ranch myself uh with my uh, brother and mother i uh, had a little town called loyal in northwest oklahoma and I can tell you that you know anytime you can do stuff, especially when you're dealing with agriculture issues, when people want to see things on the land, it's always better to try to do it in person. But in the age of COVID, we've uh, we've got to fall into the uh, the other tools and the toolbox to try to, to try to do outreach, and we've found that the podcast and the, and the 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 blog page, the videos, uh, we've been doing some virtual demonstration uh, farms on the uh, on the, the YouTube channel that we have. Uh, it's been helpful. And trying to keep that discussion going and talking to producers about different strategies that they can look at to deal with some of the extreme weather events that, that climate change is, is heading our way Hopefully hopefully mitigate a little bit of some of climate change's root causes, too.
0: Oh, great. Well, you know, I, I I wondered that. I felt like maybe podcasts and YouTube would be a good way to outreach nowadays. I know... Where I live in Minnesota, I see the uh, the farmers out here in Wright County in their big tractors in the springtime and in the fall, and they've got like screens up that they're watching shows and <laughs> like it's uh, a whole fully air conditioned cab. And um, so I was wondering if that if that new new media outreach actually is, is getting out there now. Like
1: I said, I feel like it's a it's a good it's a good tool that we have to try to make that outreach and get that information out there, and and uh, and we sure hope that that we're getting the job done
0: that way. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought up the the climate change events that that we're facing. You know, now one of the main reasons I thought you'd be a great person to have on uh, this week is to discuss the recent weather event that that really took out a big portion of the southern country, part of the country with um, uh, amazing amounts of snow and ice and record cold temperatures all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico and and even uh, to Brownsville and and you know that that kind of a weather event. Um, I've done some reading on the polar vortexes, and I I know you wrote a blog post e- explaining this a little bit. Um, could you kind of explain your understanding uh, of why these polar vortexes are are happening more often now and how that's climate change related? Well, one of the
1: theories is out there. And of course, you know, there's there's a lot of folks that, that look at this and, and you know, coming at it from different angles, but one of the prevailing theories that, that ties back into climate change is that, uh, you know, what we're seeing with the polar vortex is that the jet stream boots. It allows a lot of this colder air to move south, and, and normally the jet stream uh, kind of hems in the uh, the polar vortex that that's in the Arctic, uh, and, and keeps that from dipping too far south. But with what we're seeing as far as warming in the Arctic with the, with the change in, in sea ice levels, with the amount of energy that's released through that warming and the changes in, in atmospheric pressure and temperature, we've seen that, we'll see these times when the jet stream moves, when it starts to meander. And that allows that cold air, uh, to move further south. And this is a phenomenon that we're seeing more and more, uh, develop in, uh, in this in this part of the world, War, of course, all through North America, but it's also a worldwide phenomenon. You mentioned going all the way to Brownsville. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting in reading some of the some of the accounts worldwide. You know, the University of Damascus in Syria uh, actually had to cancel classes because of snow. Uh, while we were fighting wow. cold temperatures in the southern plains, you know, they were skating on the the canals in in Amsterdam. You know, and it was snowing in northern Mexico. I mean. That's not to say that events like that haven't happened before, but what we're seeing right now is, is kind of playing the script uh, along with what we've seen as far as both as both drought and flooding. Uh, and you know what's ironic? Before we had this polar vortex, we actually were looking at temperatures for the winter that were above average uh, in this part of the world. And, you know, you'd mentioned snow. We did have snow, but even with that, we're actually still in an extended dry period. The Oklahoma... Uh, climatological survey in the Mesonet down here actually did a blog about that this morning. That while even though we did have, you know, have that snow this last week, we're still seeing below normal precipitation for this time of year. So it's, it's more of that what a lot of people call global weirding. And, uh, you know, as we see the climate change, you know, we're seeing more and more of these events. Like I said, whether you're talking about the polar vortex, uh, you know, I, you know, I know you were down here in Oklahoma when we were in the middle of the drop. 2011 to 2015. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize that that drought was actually worse than the drought that caused the Dust Bowl. And, and interesting enough, the drought of the 1930s that caused the Dust Bowl wasn't as bad as the drought of the 1950s, which was the drought of record before the, the drought that we came out of in 2015. And then, of course, you know, the drought of 2011 to 2015 was broke by the, the largest flood event in the history of Oklahoma and Texas, which is now the flood of record. And beat out the flood of the 1950s that broke that drought, and that beat out the flood of the 1930s that broke the dust bowl. So, if you look at that trend, where things just the, the droughts are getting longer and hotter, the, the the heavy rain events are becoming more violent. What was the the you know the 500 year flood becomes a hundred year flood. The, the hundred year flood becomes a 50 year flood. 50 year flood becomes a bad spring storm. Uh, you know, and we've seen these now. Of course, things like the polar vortex, what we've seen with wildfires. Uh, it, it's really plain script, and, and that's a concern moving forward. That we 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 take heed of that, and that we start doing things to better prepare for it, and also do what we can to to maybe turn that tide around as much as possible, and uh, and mitigate some of the root causes of all this as well.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, and you know, I think it's interesting that you brought up the the global weirding. Which I think has has kind of taken over. You know, we've we've used climate change obviously more than global warming in recent years, because while the the warming refers to the average temperature worldwide, I, I think weirding is a much better a, a indicator of what actually happens to people's weather locally, um, since you know weather is the actual event of that day, not the climate which is you know temperatures and and weather overall over a long period well,
1: well and what everybody misses you know you say warming and everybody's like well then they have a cold snap well ha ha ha, it's not warming Well, what people don't understand is just a small change can huge has huge reverberating effect kind of like that old story about pulling the the one pebble out of the dike and the, and the whole dam goes you know we're pulling a a thread on a tapestry and something else comes unraveled up in the corner you know, nature is a machine. And just like I can go in and open stop my truck that I'm driving right now and open up the hood and start tinkering around with parts, you know, I can mess with a lot of stuff and that truck can still runs. But eventually I'm going to get to something that's going to screw things up. And I think that's what we've got to understand is that is that we do have a system that, that, that runs in a balance. And we have natural cycles that work in tandem. And and the climate has always changed. I mean, let's, let's be clear about something. The climate always has changed. It's always going to change. But what we've done through our activity is take a natural process and speed it up. You know, I, I mentioned the Dust Bowl in the 1930s earlier, talking about the drought. You know, I, I always liken climate change to soil erosion. And if you stop and think about it, the Dust Bowl was soil erosion. And and the Grand Canyon is nothing more than soil erosion that, that's that been caused by the Colorado River over the eons. Erosion happens. It's a natural process. All we did in the 1930s was take a natural process and...
0: Uh, and I think, think we, think we lost you briefly lost there. That
1: time. Um, that's what we've done. That. Am I back?
0: Yeah, you're back now
1: okay I, I had a well let me tell you right now what you missed was one of the most brilliant analysis on climate change you've ever heard i apologize for that but uh but i don't well, know what you heard well you well where but it but the <laughs> line is we're speeding the natural process up
0: absolutely so in the in the 30s you were saying you know what we did was take that natural process that takes you know decades and eons even and we made it happen over a matter of a few years
1: Absolutely, and that's kind of what we've done with climate change. And I think that's that's the thing that that I think we have to understand as we sped that natural process up. And with that comes multitudes of challenges, and I and I think we need to be mindful of that.
0: For sure. What are some things that folks um, who maybe live in cities who aren't familiar necessarily with with agriculture and farming and ranching? Um. They obviously would know it's Im- it's clearly important because we all go to the grocery store and the farmer's market and we pick up our vegetables and fruits and meats, so we know it's out there and, and that we need it. To the degree that um, climate change is impacting agriculture, what are some things that city folks need to be aware of, aware of in the future, possibly? is this something that's going to affect supply chains at some point are there going to be crops that we can't have anymore um what are some things we might need to look out for
1: well i think i think there's two things one is that to understand is that is that with the changing climate you know one of one of the things that we're blessed with in the united states is that we do have um, such a high abundant supply of food and so you know, as, a, as an agriculture producer, from a price perspective, sometimes that overabundance is as much a burden as it is blessing. But that being said, you know, I, I think we're, you know, I think from a consumer side, as far as, as absolute risk of food, I don't think that's necessarily a concern. The challenge becomes then, though, is that it is going to affect, uh, you know, this cold snap that we've just seen. Uh, it's estimated, early estimate is the citrus crop alone in, in Texas, you're looking at, at over $300 million worth of damage, and that's, that's not counting uh, tree damage. Uh, the grapefruit crop is probably gone uh, in most of Texas. You know, the oranges are going to be a huge impact. There's going to be a huge impact on the vegetable crop in South Texas. Uh, those are things, I'm not going to say that there's not going to be citrus food and, and vegetables in the grocery store. There will be. But that'll have an impact on price. And, and in certain places and times, it can have an impact on supply. Uh, you know, uh, that's one of the things I think we all learned a little bit the hard way in the, in the, during the pandemic earlier this summer is that we do have a, a very efficient, very effective, and very productive agriculture system in this country. Uh, but there's an old saying, the more complicated the plumbing, the easier it is to plug up the drain. And uh, as we saw outbreaks of COVID in some of these packing plants, we saw what that meant as far as uh, disruptions to the supply of meat and then what that meant in turn to the availability of certain types of meat in the grocery store shelf and i think you can draw an analogy back to climate change again i don't see folks starving you know because of, of a change of the climate but i do think it can have impact on supplies at different times um, i know in texas right now because of the fact that uh, that the natural gas supply uh, is still there's still challenges uh, in repairing some of the damage that was caused by the freeze, uh, and I read an article this morning that uh, that there's a lot of milk processing plants that haven't been able receive natural gas to uh, to run the burners to dry milk down into powder or to or to help pasteurize or have to heat pasteurize it because of that. Uh, you know, milk trucks come every other day to most dairies, and so uh, those producers have tanks that only hold so much milk, and so a lot of milk is being dumped. And, you know, that potentially could affect as far as fluid milk and, and different milk solids. And then that translates into butter and cheese and ice cream and different things. So, uh, I mean, there can be huge impacts. But the flip side of that is, I think that, that I think, you know, in agriculture, when you look at the whole picture, agriculture also has a play, a place to, to, to really help and a role to play as far as mitigating climate change. And one of the things that we work on and that, that to me, quite frankly, is really, exciting and, and gives me a, gives me some hope is uh, a lot of the same tools that we want farmers and ranchers to do to be better prepared for this extreme weather especially droughts and floods are practices that also sequester carbon and that reduce emissions and so a lot of times the same things we want them to do to harden their farm and ranches to extreme weather are the same things that can help reduce greenhouse gas levels in the atmosphere I'm talking a lot of these things that a lot of people you've probably heard a lot of talk about regenerative agriculture soil health um, ideas of of trying to restore the health of the soil and through that by restoring organic matter which in turn is about sixty percent carbon. Uh, when you think about you know plants breathe in carbon dioxide, breathing out oxygen, if you don't disturb the soil that carbon dioxide is sequestered into the ground in the form of organic carbon a lot of it and uh, and that's a way to take some of the CO2 out of the atmosphere, plus the fact uh, the practices that do that, you're not burning as much diesel. I know in Oklahoma, uh, growing wheat, if you're doing it using no-till, which is one of these soil health practices, uh, you're burning three gallons of diesel less per acre per year than you were are with conventional tillage,
0: so you're not putting as much greenhouse
1: gases into the atmosphere to begin with. Um, so there's a lot of promise there, and there's a lot of things that can be done to help it helps do some things with it, and it has other positive effects, too, whether you're talking about soil erosion, water quality and quantity, other things that are tied in with climate change that, that a lot of people don't think about. Again, I, I mentioned cycles earlier. We're really talking about natural cycles, climate change, and greenhouse gas levels. A lot of it is the carbon cycle is out of whack. You know, this carbon dioxide right. that was or, or carbon that was captured in the soil in the form of organic matter millennia ago and turned into petroleum and coal has been brought up and burned and released in the atmosphere, that cycle's been knocked out of balance. Are there ways that we can try to get that back into balance? You know, and that also feeds into the water cycle, that feeds into the nutrient cycle, and that's really what we're talking about, is trying to restore this balance, and these things are all interconnected, and, uh, and that's some of the stuff that we're working on, and I, and I think it opens up some real opportunities.
0: Well, that sounds fantastic, and it's really great to hear that coming out of Oklahoma, which I know you know many listeners of this podcast will identify Oklahoma as a quote unquote, red state how do How do you find the message of of both hardening folks' farms and ranches to better sustain themselves through extreme weather events and then also helping mitigate climate change? Does that message? sell well in oklahoma does the political climate make it more difficult to talk about these things
1: well you know what's what's interesting Brittany, and in, in, you know once upon a time uh we actually have on the books in oklahoma uh, one of the only carbon sequestration statutes in the nation which gives a state agency in this case the oklahoma conservation commission uh the uh, ability to verify carbon credits on behalf of the state of oklahoma and at one time um, when the discussion on wax market was going on, we had over 50,000 acres signed up in a carbon program in Oklahoma. And interestingly enough, I talk about how all this stuff is balanced together. Those same practices that sequester carbon also, as I, I said, have an impact on water quality as far as controlling erosion and runoff. Um, Oklahoma is up to, I believe, 88 streams off of the EPA uh, 303D list, the impaired streams list. Uh, they're number two in the nation. Behind Washington, and, and, uh, and in all honesty, Washington uh, counts one whole river section where Oklahoma just counts that as one uh, one stream delisted. They count the whole river as about six different sections. So I'm going to say it right now: they cheat. And uh, <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to say Oklahoma has got more streams off the EPA impaired list than any other state in the nation, and it's not done through regulation. And quite frankly, it's how you sell the message. Uh, you said the political. Uh, atmosphere and climate change—that's that—that is a concern, and that's always a challenge. But uh, you don't have to believe in climate change to believe in droughts. And floods. And, uh, and and the producers that you talk to—if you put it in language that meets them where they're at—they understand extreme weather as far as rains and and dry weather. You know, the old saying in Western Oklahoma, where I'm from, a lot more people left that country that, because it's too dry, it's too wet. Uh, they understand dry weather and what it means. Well, anything that can help you hold on to moisture. Conserve that moisture is something they're interested in. Soil erosion, again, the dust bowl is part of the narrative and ingrained in people that they don't want to lose that soil. It's the basis of all their wealth. Um, You know, so if you can do things to hold on to that soil, you know that there's a benefit to it. Uh, And again, I mentioned burning three gallons of diesel less per acre per year just with converting to no-till. You know, uh, we we talk about people going green. Well, I got news for you. Cash is green, too. And uh, doing things that help people's bottom lines, Uh, you know, that that perks up their ears pretty quick. So I think knowing your audience, knowing who you talk to and trying to meet them where they're at is key Uh, and helping them, you know, helping them find a way to understand that, you know, you may have have to believe in climate change, but this is one place where, you know, we can all come around the fire for a little while and sing kumbaya because I'll guarantee you there's something in it for everybody. When you're talking about fighting climate change, trying to reduce your input costs, when you talk about diesel and fertilizer and some of these other things, Talking about controlling soil erosion, talking about protecting water, talking about conserving water. Um, I bet you I can find an argument somewhere that's gonna that's gonna make you look at it pretty close. And uh, and working together, we can we can make that case and make some movement forward.
0: Well, that's such a great message, and I think that's a great place to to end this conversation because that's really what I hope for this show to be is a place where we can discuss issues beyond the the outrageous headlines and you know we're not trying to scare people into climate change is going to destroy everything and you're gonna not be able to find any food ever you know no that you will have food on the shelves but there are there are problems we're facing and you know
1: Brittany, Brittany, i i don't want to leave people with a misimpression it's a problem and it's something that we've gotta, you know, you've gotta look at it with an open with open eyes, and, and don't pull your head in your sand. Pull your head in the sand. But it is one that there is a path forward, and we can find common ground and move forward. You know, but I, at the same time, it is a challenge. It's kind of like I've told people, you know. Uh, I, a lot of times with USDA, we do things voluntarily, and, and, and we don't talk about regulations. And my thing is, we talk about climate change. You know, I'm not here to tell you who shot John, but I am going to tell you there's a dead body in the middle of the room, and it starts to stink. We've got to figure out what <laughs> to do about it. And that's what I think we've got to figure out is how we is how we address it. And there are ways to move forward. If everybody sits down, you, you know, opens up their ears and their eyes maybe closes your mouth a little bit and all of us think about this with a level head, then I think we can get through it. Because it is a challenge. Yeah. But it's it's one we can't address.
0: Right. I my my point was just that it's it's neither the, the doom and gloom of, of the far left nor the you know, business yeah. killing of the far right. Yeah. It's there's somewhere in the middle here. And Absolutely. regardless of where your political beliefs may may come from You know, I think we all can agree extreme weather events, they're bad for our economy, they're bad for our agriculture, and so it's good on all of us to to have a better understanding of where they're coming from, how we can better prepare for them, and how we can, you know, it sounds like we may even be able to both better prepare and, at the same time, those same steps are helping to improve the situation, so... That's fantastic. Well, Clay, thank you so much for joining us today. Um,
1: well, Brittany, I appreciate the chance to come on and visit with you a little bit and, and appreciate what you do and, and, and appreciate you you, uh, you having me on the show today.
0: Yeah, where can folks find you if they're looking for the YouTube or social media?
1: Well, you can just Google Southern Plains Climate uh, or Southern, Southern Plains uh, the uh, Southern Plains podcast is the name of our podcast we actually have uh, southern Plains perspective at wordpress.com is our website which has links uh, to our blog to our podcast you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook as well and uh, and we'd sure hope we'd sure be excited to, have to come over and check us out and, and let us know what you think and, and uh, we'd, uh, we'd appreciate the, appreciate the clicks and uh, and the feedback.
0: Clay Pope, everybody. He is an old friend of mine. He is a former legislator in Oklahoma as well. Um, He's obviously very knowledgeable about farming, ranching, climate, and soil. Um, So it's great to have him on today. Um, Next week, I plan on getting into voting rights. There are a ton of bills going through state legislatures all over the country right now that Um, Trumpist Republicans who have continued to push the big lie that the election was stolen and that Biden was elected via fraudulent means. um, Those folks are using that big lie as an excuse to push bills all over the country to curtail voting rights and limit voting times and ways to vote. Um, So we're going to get into that next week. Um, So I hope you guys will follow us on your favorite podcast app. I do look forward to talking with you again. And uh, you all have a wonderful weekend. And and hopefully it's a lot warmer this week where you are. Take care.